You're listening to Breaking the Silence, a podcast by Reach 10, where we're creating a culture of courage, compassion, and connection to overcome the shame, silence, and fear that often surrounds topics such as sexuality and pornography. We're your hosts, Chriselle Simons and Creed Orm. Welcome back, listeners, to Breaking the Silence. We are privileged to have Jeff Stewart here today with us to answer the question, why don't relapses mean you're starting over? And we're really looking forward to answering this question uh, with him. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist in a private practice in St. George, Utah. He's the co-author of Love You, Hate the Porn, Healing a Relationship Damaged by Virtual Infidelity, and is the host of the Illuminate podcast. He has also created many online courses, programs, workbooks, and other resources to help support individuals and couples in the recovery process. So we're so lucky to have him. Jeff, can you please uh, continue to introduce yourself or tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Creed. Thanks for having me on here. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. And yeah, so I, uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, actually, and and I've been married for about 20, almost 25 years to my wife. And we have four kids and I love being the dad of young adults. My oldest son is 22 and uh, my youngest daughter is 11. So we've got a whole range of kids there, but it's just so fun to talk about just life and issues and just work through stuff and support them. And so I'm just thrilled to be a part of this and reaching out. It informs my work that I do with my clients. It blesses my own life. And so we're all in this together. So just love being here. So thanks so much. Love this. I'm so excited to have you on our podcast today. And in fact, I have read your book and it is awesome. What? And I didn't realize that. But I was like, oh my goodness, I know that book. So this is so great. And I'm especially excited to talk about this topic because um, having worked in addiction recovery, and I, I worked primarily as a recreation therapist with alcohol and substance abuse yeah. addictions but those often had other addictions, but most of my personal experiences with sexual addictions and pornography addictions. And so I am so excited about this topic because I think that so often people get so discouraged when they relapse. Totally. And so my first question for you is when we have a slip up, what should our response be? Oh man. The the first thing is to not panic. I mean, that's a lot to ask though, right? Because I mean, it depends on how long it's been. Some people, they go into this recovery process almost like they're holding on to the bar uh, at elementary school on the playground and holding on for as long as they can until their little fingers give out. And then they drop, right? Have a slip and they just feel so discouraged. Like it's a personal failure. I, I couldn't hang on. Something's wrong. So there's all these messages that flood in about what that slip means. And they're generally not very affirming. They're not very true. They're generally um, shame-based, which is, you know, all or nothing. And so the experience is usually a really overwhelming negative one. Now, there's an occasional situation where somebody doesn't feel enough pain. (laughs) Maybe that's for a different podcast. But for most people that are earnest and trying and caring about it, the biggest thing is to not panic in that moment and to not just believe everything that floods in. 
I think of it like stopping the bleeding or containment. You just, you need to sort of slow things down big time because there's a lot of activity that happens at the moment that you kind of come out of that fog and realize what have I done? Mm -hmm. I remember when I struggled with pornography and I had a relapse. Oh boy, was it the worst? It was just oh, the yeah. absolutely worst. And I completely agree. I like your thinking or metaphor with trying to stop the blood. We often have these thoughts that are just not helpful, that are just not true. And we create so much story that is probably quite unrealistic around what this relapse means for us, what it oh, means yeah. for our loved ones. And if we can uh, decatastrophize, I don't mm -hmm. know if that's a word, but um, it, a little bit, that will be so helpful. Because I know that when I relapsed, boy, I thought it was the end. I beat myself up way more than uh, necessary. And it was just not helpful for my recovery. So I'm so glad we are bringing this up and talking about it. If decatastrophize isn't a word, it should be. So I just wanted to It is now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good word. Because I think so often that's what happens, right? Yeah. We catastrophize the things that happen in our lives. And we're like, oh my gosh, because this happened, fill in the blank. And many of those fill in the blank statements after that are so shame filled and just like stop our progress. So what does that mean? If we have a slip up, does that mean we're back to square one? Oh, mean... heavens no. Okay. No, Tell no, us more no. about that. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's like wounds, they heal in stages. When something scabs over, it doesn't just close up all of a sudden. You know, it, it closes up in stages. And so if you scratch the wound and, you know, you still have a lot of the healing that's already happened. It's not like you start over. Now, there, uh, granted, there are some relapses where people go deeper into their addiction or they cross lines they've never crossed before. And so in that sense, you'll definitely probably have to do some additional work or there has to be some, some deeper accountability and some other things like that. Some, maybe some more reinforcements brought in, but in terms of like, to me, it's like the, the lessons learned, the information gained, the experiences you've had, like nobody can take that from us. That's ours. We've earned it. And again, the whole idea of starting over to me is a shame-based idea of all or nothing good or bad, pass, fail, and not helpful. That's a very common thinking error is that black and white thinking that like, oh, yeah. it's, it's like this way or this way, which that's part of your addiction talking. Absolutely. got to get away from those thinking errors. Yep, exactly. That's a great way to put it. Yep. So, I mean, I remember that I would have thoughts like, of course, deepening me into my secret, you know, it, it was a secret and I'm sure many others feel the same. Like I want to hide more. I don't want to show myself what worth do I have? Like these, all these negative thoughts that aren't helpful. What would you suggest we do with those thoughts? Any practices that you would have uh, those who do slip up for their own thoughts of how to process what just happened, you know, recognizing I did slip up, you know, this is serious. I don't want to be doing this. This is out of line of my values. I know this can very much hurt my loved one as well. I'm asking lots of questions here, but like I'm tracking it. Yep. Yeah. Those thoughts, what do we do with those? And then how do we come to a point where we address the situation and use it as a learning opportunity and not just dismissing it as nothing happened? Right. Like the, you know, oops, I did it again, move on kind of a thing. Yeah. I, I, we, you know, obviously reach 10 and, and the effort you guys are making is about opening up, reaching out, talking about this topic with other people, but in the very personal sense of reaching out when there's, when there's a relapse, a slip, whatever you want to call it, 
it's not enough just to acknowledge to somebody that you did it. So I guess you could put it in stages, right? So like keeping it to yourself, staying in there, those thoughts are going to gain dangerous momentum. And that's going to really derail your ability to heal if you just keep it in isolation to yourself. So that's a huge problem and a dead end. However, if you reach out to somebody and say, hey, I crossed my line, I feel horrible, I messed up, that's a great next step. And that's going to slow those thoughts down because you're now going to have somebody mirroring back to you the truth about what you, who you are, what you mean to them. It'll just start to erode that shame. Now, if you want to take it another level up, this is to me where the magic happens, which is where you not only acknowledge that you messed up, but now you're going to talk about the shame story. You're going to talk about all the beliefs that are flooding in, and you're going to give this other person a chance to have an authentic response to that, you know, where you say something like, I'm just making this up on the spot here, but something like, you know, I'm never going to get married or something like that. Right. And then they can just be like, wow, like that's a really strong statement. And that's so not true. And this does not determine the rest of your life and predict everything that will happen. You know, you, so you have somebody that reflects reality back to you, but if you don't ever reveal that and you only just stay on the level of, yeah, I messed up. And then they can be like, okay, but they don't know, again, something inside of you is still gaining dangerous momentum. So it's not only coming out about the mistake, it's coming out about the shame. And if you don't talk about the shame, then the relapse really won't become a learning experience for you. It's just going to be you trying to manage a bunch of dark thoughts inside of you, which takes a ton of energy and generally mutates into more dark thoughts and doesn't go anywhere mm. productive. So you got to take it all the way through and not just stay at the behavior. Mm -hmm. To add to that, I think it's really important to simply note down as well the facts of what happened. I love that. And not put so much judgment around it. Yeah. Yeah. Please let me know your thoughts. Like the fact is I did do this again. I relapsed. Mm -hmm. But the reality is this happens in recovery. We're always looking for, you know, an upwards yep. momentum, but uh, that's what recovery is about. Mm -hmm. What does this mean now? Well, it means... I have some work to do. <laughs> what does this mean? I, I probably need to talk to my loved ones since we've agreed to share if this happens. Just kind of realistically, the facts, instead of putting so much judgment around it, is really important to, to address. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yep. I'm curious about, about the shame piece that you brought up and like coming out with the shame right? Mm -hmm. and, and talking about that. I think that that's really interesting because I think often we don't want to talk about the shame, right? Oh, yeah. We don't want to talk about those things because it's like, well, I believe them and other people probably will tell me that that's true, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about like the core beliefs behind that shame? How do we dissect that and start to understand maybe those core beliefs that are driving the relapse? Yeah. I mean, I think Creed, you kind of touched on that. You can do that behaviorally. You can also do that same exercise with the shame beliefs. You can list those out and get really clear on just what you're telling yourself. And you're right. The shame is the last thing we want to share because it's the part that's so deep to our core of who we are. You know, even though none of it's true or it's an exaggeration, we feel it so deeply that we absolutely don't want anybody to see that. So first, we have to be able to face the messages that we're telling ourselves. So again, what Creed was saying, as far as just noting those down, I'll have clients, you know, really map out and write down their shame, kind of automatic shame responses, which are usually things that you would never just say to anybody else. They flow very freely from within us when we're, when we're in this place. And so getting those out and looking at them and then challenging those, 
you know, it's not just like, oh, I'm afraid I'll never get married. It's I'll never get married because who would want someone as broken as me, right? And then, like you said, Creed, you can go into that deeper place of, well, mistakes aren't evidence that I'm broken. Mistakes mean that I'm growing and learning and trying to improve. And I'm really taking on something that's been hard for me for a lot of years. But look at me, I'm confronting this stuff. I'm talking about it. I'm working through it. And you can start to challenge that and basically create a different message, a different direction. It's like a bully. You have to stand up to it. It'll back down eventually. What do we do if we have a partner who we, we address the situation, we name the facts, and what if they happen to catastrophize mm-hmm. it? And, and we feel like we've been mindful of, of it all and, and we're learning and growing. How would we respond to our partner who is probably hurting a lot, you know? But what if we have the thought, my partner's like yeah. making it a bigger deal than it is because I obviously slipped up. I admitted to that, but they're making it worse. Like how would that person respond to that? Yeah, it's a great, great question. This is why it's so important to have somebody in your life. You know, the 12 steps have always had sponsor. You know, there's always a sponsorship piece or having a support system who are not your spouse or your partner so that you can have that response Mm. of challenging and pushing back on that shame because your partner generally is not going to be the person who'll do that. Your job when you're talking to your partner is, is to really step into that compassion for the impact that your behavior had on them. Shame is like medicine. You you know, too much of it is going to be bad for you. Too little of it's not good either when it, when a dose is needed. And so you want to have a healthy dose of it, which is what we call guilt. And so that guilt will help you step into the accountability and the compassion for your partner. The guilt will help you change your behavior. You need that to move toward healing, toward relationships, you know, toward wholeness. With shame, on the other hand, if you're only talking to your partner about what's going on, and they're reflecting back their trauma, their hurt, their feeling betrayed, all these things that are going on for them, it's going to be a lot to ask for you to try and filter those reactions in a healthy way because it's it's all going to feel so personal. But if you're having somebody else who can say, you know what, you're working through this. Uh, we're not going to excuse it or minimize it. Yeah, you made some serious mistakes. You got to own that and work through it. But your core character and who you are as a person is not flawed and defective even though your partner can't see that right now because they're in so much pain, then you can face your partner and offer compassion out that it's a lot to, it's going to be really hard. And then you'll both spin out. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a really hard situation. I love that. Some awesome thoughts. I think it's so important that we, yes, of course, recognize the hurt that it can bring upon a loved one and not to minimize that whatsoever. And yeah. not, I think at least personally, if I were to have those types of thoughts going on in my head, like, Oh, they're they're making a big deal. I would have to be mindful that I'm thinking that, and be like, "Okay, <laughs> I have to take their perspective. This is so hard for them." And then just to be that compassionate partner, because that's kind of what you what you need to be in that moment for the one that's hurting. Well, yeah, exactly. And on a deeper level here, Creed, there's you being able to feel compassion and empathy for your partner also helps heal a lot of the objectification that was happening in the addiction to pornography. And so when, when you're looking at porn and you're basically dehumanizing and objectifying other people for your own benefit, when you're with a partner, you're having to really connect with a real human in their pain. And it will be a fast track, almost graduate level ability to sort of get rise above that tendency to just objectify. Because the objectification response would be like, their pain doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm a good person, whatever. They'll get over it. I mean, that would be the most cruel, callous response. But getting reactive, defensive, overwhelmed, 
those are also natural responses. The goal, of course, is to see them as a human who's having a very human experience because of how important this relationship is to them and how awful they feel. And if you can hold that space in your heart, that will heal that tendency to objectify and dehumanize. That's so beautiful. I really appreciate that too, because I think, yeah, I think that the perfect person is going to be in that place of compassion, right? And if you're struggling, then that's probably not going to be your first response. No, no. And so I really appreciate that. I'm really curious to know what you, what you say to people who are struggling with relapse after relapse after relapse that are just like, is this my life? Yeah. The rest of forever. Um, And maybe you're starting to feel like really a lot of despair and discouragement. Yeah, it's real. The struggle, as as we all say, the struggle is real. Like that is a very, it's a dark place. And the first thing I would say is don't give up. The first thing I would say is, you know, you can stop and rest for a minute, but don't stop. Don't stop permanently. Don't Don't let this mean something about you being broken. Generally, you haven't tried everything in the sense of, there's probably some other things that haven't broken loose yet. I remember talking with a guy some time ago who was having relapse after relapse and he couldn't get out of it. And as we started to just talk about, you know, the deeper pain and emotions and stuff going on, we discovered an area that had been completely untapped that hadn't even occurred to him. And it was really almost like turning a key. And it started to open up a lot of clarity about what, what he was trying to numb out. And it took several conversations. We had to work with it and, it and it wasn't obvious on the surface. And so good therapy and you know, group work, 12-step groups and education and talking to other people in recovery, like don't give up because there's probably some stone you haven't turned over yet. There's some piece of the puzzle you don't know yet. And if you can manage you know, the shame and the discouragement that you feel and all these slip ups and mess ups, you know, hopefully you can hang in there and get the help you need. And if you're in a relationship with somebody and they can't hang in there, sometimes that happens and they have to decide that, that that's as much as they can take. And you have to honor that and respect that. And they may not be aligned with the timing of your process where you're in a good place to be ready for that relationship. And you have to surrender that. That happens sometimes. And that's part of, again, not objectifying or not dehumanizing somebody, letting somebody be where they are. And don't judge yourself if you're listening to this and you got out of a relationship with somebody who struggled and you feel like you abandoned them to their addiction. Not true. It's just that the timing wasn't right. You weren't, it's just, it was too much and that's okay. Everybody gets to have a level. I really appreciate that you're especially addressing like both sides of that. Yeah. Because I think for me, I often felt so guilty ending a relationship if pornography was any part of the equation. Right. Right. Because I was like, great. Now they're going to continue to believe for the rest of their lives that they're broken forever. And I also like, was like, and that also means that I can't handle anyone who's not perfect. Right. Which is a dumb, <laughs> again, one of those like sayings that like, we don't need to say. Right. Uh, but I, I appreciate that because I think when we remember that like, we're all human, we're all struggling and it's okay if it's not working in this relationship and walk away from that. And I don't have to take that personally. What does this mean for my journey? Oh yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. There could be shame on both sides. Like you described. You have to be really careful with that. Yeah. So I really want to know if, is it possible to be in recovery and not relapse? Often I saw this in like substance abuse recovery where people would be like, 
I've never had a relapse. (laughs) But I also would like notice things about themselves where I'm like, I don't know if you ever like found recovery. Like you have a lot of those addictive beliefs still, right? Totally. Um, And so I want to know what you think about relapse and recovery and is relapse an essential part of recovery? Relapse is an essential part of life. I relapse every single day. You do too, probably with something, right? Where we don't match what we believe and want to do with what we actually do. You know, we sleep in, don't exercise when we eat too much in that sense. And I'm not trying to minimize the relapse of an addiction or, you know, a more serious thing where it has serious consequences. It's a mindset though. It's so critical to recognize if you're saying to yourself, well, I'm going to do this without ever making mistakes in this addiction again, that I would pull out a bigger magnifying glass and just say, I mean, like in the 12 steps, right? You start moving toward, once you kind of get the big, harmful, destructive behaviors out of the way, you turn the microscope onto the character flaws, character defects, and that's what you work on. And so I I just think if you're raising the bar and you're saying, you know what, maybe I'll never look at pornography again. And I've worked with people who have never gone back to pornography, who've never looked at it again. And I believe them, but for their recovery to really be productive, they have to shift this mindset. Like I said at the beginning of this answer to looking at themselves and recognizing I'm relapsing every day with something with my, with my emotions, with my other behaviors, I'm going to look really closely at being honest about not aligning what I believe and what I want with what I actually do. And that level of accountability keeps you in recovery. If you just kind of do this, well, I've never looked at porn again, so I'm totally fine. And I'll never, you know, that to me is, is a pretty big blind spot and a slippery slope, you know, going back into addictions or at worst, or, I mean, I guess at worst back into your addiction or at best, maybe like self-righteousness right? <laughs> and just being impossible to probably relate to because who lives without any sort of mistakes, right? I really love this. And it, it reminded me of like 13 year old Chriselle, who was like, <laughs> I don't need to repent because I'm just never going to sin. <laughs> and, and I don't need Jesus in that way because uh, yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my way. I'm just going to be great. And, you know, so naive, bless my sweet little 13 year old <laughs> heart, whether or not you're struggling with pornography. I love what you said. Relapse is part of life because that's so true. And, and I love how much hope is in that message. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and, and the thing is, is that a, a betrayed partner, and I know we're not really talking totally in a couple's context here, and I work a ton with couples, a betrayed partner is going to hear something like this and, and basically feel like, oh, so you're giving my partner permission to just like blow it whenever. And I'm not giving anybody permission to blow it. I'm just describing the fact that their process, if they're really going to enter into a deep recovery process, is going to be be accountable for the things that are causing damage, own those things, and progressively work their way for the rest of their lives into eliminating the things that create distance from them, from God, from other people, and, and create pain. And, and that is just a long-term process. So yes, there's a, there's a huge initial cleanup that has to happen and can't be excused. So if anybody has the mindset, if they're with somebody who's basically like, oh, sweet, I just got permission from Jeff Stewart to like just make mistakes forever they're missing the point and they're probably not in a good recovery space. Right. (laughs) And so I guess there's a little PSA there for you. That's perfect. I think important (laughs) to recognize you may have touched upon this before, but just a follow-up. How can we turn each relapse into a learning opportunity? 
Are there some questions that we can ask ourselves about what this relapse means that can teach us for how to recover and maybe be better for next time? Right. If you think about a relapse, you can think of it as a prelapse. It's like basically now preparation for the next one. And if you look at it as like, like part of a cycle. And so if you look at it as instead of it being the end of the road, or I'm never going to mess up again, or which is everybody says that it, it really becomes like, okay, what data can I mine here for lack of a better metaphor? Sometimes this can sound a little grim, but it's, it's almost like, you know, going through and doing like an autopsy or evaluating a crime scene and how thorough and detailed they are. I guess we could say archeological dig. That's a little bit uh, <laughs> less dramatic perhaps, hmm. but you're just, you're, you're just, you're brushing things off. You're just like really trying to understand and learn. And this will, this will happen really well with a therapist. It'll happen really well with prayer, with journaling, with talking to anybody. Generally, this isn't something that you just do in your own head. It's really trying to understand all the precursors, what happened, what, what things led into it, what emotions was going. So the more you mine this to understand it and you get as much out of it as you can, you're now stronger for the next time that you find yourself in that vulnerable situation. If you're going through this and never wanting to think about it again and hoping it'll just go away and just closing your eyes and trying to muscle forward, you're walking away from a treasure trove of details and data that I think can really help strengthen you. If you can put the shame out of the room and learn from it and really uh, stay in that kind of headspace, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and it'll boost you forward. I think that's so important. Yeah. Prelapse, you know, kind of thing. What can this tell me for next time? Yeah. That's great. Use it to empower you as opposed to disempowering yourself. Right, right. Yep. Jeff, this has been so fantastic. I have loved every second of this conversation and I'm like blown away at how quickly it's gone by. I know. <laughs> it's been I one know. of those conversations where I'm like, let's just keep going forever. Um, <laughs> and I, I just really appreciate the conversation around relapse and how to grow from relapse. And in even the, the little bits that we've touched on, as the, like the betrayed partner, what does that relapse mean? Yeah. Um, as we, as we come to like kind of the end of our podcast today, do you have anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. Accountability and compassion for yourself and for the and people you impact is not a, a leading sort of central part of your relapse prevention strategy or relapse processing strategy. Then I invite you to pull that in deeper in a bigger way. Freedom is going to come through that accountability of really owning and understanding the impact you're having on yourself and others. And if you lead with that accountability, you'll become a safe person. If you're making excuses, denying, minimizing, avoiding, evading, all those things to try and get away from that discomfort, you'll have a hard time learning. You won't be a really safe person and your growth is going to be delayed big time. And so th that piece, I, I probably talk about it so much because it's such a hard thing. It's like the first thing to go out the door because there's so much shame. So pull it in, let it be your friend and just trust that that'll actually uh, help open a lot more doors than perhaps you'd realize. Perfect. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for all the thoughts that you've shared today. This has been perfect and I'm sure will be awesome insight for our listeners. Thank you so much. I hope so. Thanks for having me on.
We hope you all have a wonderful Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and enjoy celebrating with friends and family, of course, socially distanced and safe. Uh, we will be taking a little bit of a break and we'll be coming back in the new year. And so in the meantime, please go back and listen to our old podcasts and share these things that you're learning from our podcast with your friends and your family and reach out and connect with other people this wonderful time of this year. We love you and we're so grateful for your support and that you come back and listen and we look forward to the new year. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence by Reach 10. Help us create a new culture of connection by sharing what you heard today with at least 10 people. Please help us reach more young adults by going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reach 10 is a nonprofit. You can help support this podcast by donating on our website and following us on social media. We share these views to open the dialogue on these tough issues. We are not professionals, and the ideas shared on this podcast should not be taken as professional advice. The opinions and views that our hosts and guests share do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach 10, and we don't guarantee the accuracy of any statements you hear. Reach 10 is not responsible for your use of information heard on this podcast. We keep learning and invite you to join us as we build a more open, compassionate, and courageous culture.